So today we're starting this new series called Vintage. I don't know what comes to mind when you hear the word vintage. It's different than old. So yeah, you can look at a car and you can look at one car and say, no, that's just old. No, and then that one's vintage. It's different, right? Same thing with clothes. You can look at something and go, that's vintage. Look at something else and say, no, that's just old. It's different. Vintage does not mean old. Vintage means it's always in. But some things, over time, they're just old. I had a birthday this month. I turned 49. And I appreciate the compliments of, you don't look 49. But I didn't appreciate the person who said, but I remember when you did. Ah, I was uncalled for. Actually, that's my line. If you ever tell how old you are, I'll go, you don't look that, but I remember when you did. Toby Keith said that to Willie Nelson one time. I thought it was hilarious. I don't feel vintage. I feel old. I may not look it, but I feel like, uh, anyway. Some things are vintage. Albums, record albums have come back in. They're vintage. I don't anticipate cassette tapes or eight-track tapes, which were both part of my childhood, ever be coming back in and referred to as vintage. It's just old. There's a difference. So we want to talk about these things that are vintage in terms of our faith and in terms of the church. What's always in? What should never go away? What are the things we should hold on to and never give up? Live Oak celebrated a birthday this month, too. It turned 25 this last week. And I was around uh, for the first day Live Oak had public services. I was part of the core group. I was a sixth-year senior at Tech. And I was there, and I can tell you from day one that Sunday to this Sunday, there are a lot of things that are different. But there are some things that aren't. Some things I would put in the vintage category that it should never get old, it should never go away, it should always be there, we should never give that up. And Jesus made this promise. There are several things we held on to as a church uh, through the years. Several values. One of the very first values, it's never gone away, it should never go away. People matter to God. People matter. It's been a core value since day one. You've never locked eyes with someone who does not deeply matter to God. It's been something we've said since day one. Uh, The idea of we exist for the other, that others matter. Who's not here is very important to always be thinking about. The idea of investing in the next generation, those things. But from day one, one of the promises that we have counted on and really believed, and we pray that it's true and we try to partner with however we can, Jesus made this promise Early on to his disciples then in Matthew 16, I will build my church. We've trusted him to do that. It's his church, not ours. But the question is, as he's doing that, and as the world changes, as culture changes, what should never change about the church? And so I don't want to go back to day one of Live Oak and ask that question. Let's go back to the day one of the early church. The first expressions in scripture of what was the church like then that should never change? Again, if you were to go to a Sunday or a gathering of church then and look at how they did church and how we do church today, a lot of things are very different. But what should never change? It's an important question. Well, in this series, we're going to look at some passages, some practices that talk about the early church, as well as some purposes and some promises that were associated with that to figure out what should never change, what is always in. And as we look at the first expression of the church, we're going to look at several passages and today we're going to look at a passage called the Great Commission. There's a, it's, it's not a, actually a phrase, the Great Commission is not in the Bible, but it's used about a passage that's in the Bible. Barna Research Group, who does a lot of research about people who attend church and people who don't, about how their, their worldview and their faith view and things like that, he asked people who attended church on a regular basis, 
who would identify themselves as Christians, he asked them, do you know what the Great Commission, the Great Commission is? 51% did not. They had no idea what it was. They had never heard of it. Uh, 25% had heard of it, but they couldn't tell you what it was. They go, I know the phrase. I don't know what it means. They were given a, a choice of five different passages, and most of them did not pick this passage. 17% said, yes, I know what it is, and yes, I know what it means. The good news is there's no test. It's, the goal isn't to say, does everyone need to know what the Great Commission is? But we kind of do need to know what it means and why it's important because these were words that Jesus spoke to his followers, and he says, this is how I'm going to build my church. This is something I'm always going to be doing. It'll never change. I'm telling you with this authority, and I'm making a huge promise with it. This is what you should be about. So if you don't know what the Great Commission is, wherever you fall in those statistics, what's important is we as a church, and I think you as a follower of Jesus, if that's who you are, need to know this because Jesus told his disciples, this is what's always in. And in Matthew 28, he said this. Jesus came to them, his disciples. This was after he rose from the dead, before he ascends to heaven his last words to his followers, and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And he says this idea that this is what is always in, we should always be about. It's this, in this passage, there is a practice to go and make disciples. This is vintage. It's actually even better than that. It's always fresh and relevant. This is something that Jesus said should be the core that defines who any church should be. And for Live Oak, if this isn't a part of who we are, we should just stop being a church. Then it's a, a, a worship concert. It's a, there's, a, there's some teaching on, on something that we all kind of share as a hobby. It's kind of in common. If this isn't a purpose of who we are, we shouldn't be a church. This was the practice of the early church to go and make disciples. Well, what's interesting in this passage, he doesn't give a lot of detail. What is a disciple and, and how do you make disciples? Like, how do you do that? Well, a disciple, what they knew, which is much more common in their phrase, it means an apprentice of Jesus who becomes more like Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's an apprentice or a learner of Jesus. And at the times, more than Jesus had disciples. This was a common practice. You would devote time and follow this person and learn from this person. You would become an apprentice or a learner of that person. We're supposed to make apprentices or learners of Jesus who what's different for us is that we our disciples, and we as disciples become more like Jesus. There's a transformation aspect to this. And he doesn't really tell us how, but here's what we do know from how Jesus practiced this, is there's no such thing as an instant disciple. Someone may cross the line of faith and say, I believe in Jesus, and their life is transformed in that moment, but being a disciple of Jesus is a process. Just add water does not make a disciple. It's a process of growth, of learning, of following, and what Jesus promises of transformation of our lives that happens from the inside out. And whatever the early disciples thought when they heard this, we don't, no one recorded Matthew the disciple was standing there, and he's like, I'm a disciple, I'm supposed to go make disciples. It doesn't record that he says, hey, I have a few questions. What do you exactly mean by disciple, and how exactly do you do that? We just assume that they knew what that meant, and you have to kind of figure that out from the rest of Scripture. 
But one thing that's obvious that it really seems like they believed because of what they did, but also because what they had experienced for three years being a disciple of Jesus is they seem to think that being a disciple and making disciples happen best in the context of community. Because early on when Jesus had left and he sent the Holy Spirit and he empowered them, said, go be my witnesses, go make disciples. As they do that, there is this one day where Peter stands up and he talks about Jesus and it says 3,000 people said yes to Jesus. And the very next passage tells us that this is what they did in terms of making disciples. They, collectively, a group, community, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. It goes on to say this. They, community, collective, sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They really thought this idea of community together, they, was important. A disciple is a one-on-one thing with Jesus, but it happens in the context of community. And if you go to this great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, he says, this is what you're to be about. You, together, go and make disciples. This is your commission. This is your mission. And for every single one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, your commission, your mission, what he has tasked you to do is to be a disciple and make disciples, to be one and make some. The noun, be a disciple, and the verb, Go make disciples. The word go indicates that there's some kind of initiative or action or movement on our process, on our part, that we would actually do that. And as he gives us this plan, he doesn't give us a lot of details, but he actually mentions several specific things in here of what it involves. And one of the first ones is kind of interesting. He says, I want you to baptize them. Baptism was a key part of what they heard that Jesus wanted the church, us, and you individually, with your they, to be about. This is the first action item. Do this for yourself and have others do it as well. Well, the question is, what is baptism? And if you've been around the church, you may have a picture of that. Even if you haven't, you may have had this idea of what baptism is. And the word actually literally means, it's the Greek word baptizo, and it means this, to dip, to immerse, to submerge, the same way a ship that's shipwrecked, that sinks to the bottom, that's the word, baptizo. Now, the good thing is what we believe is baptism doesn't involve sinking you to the bottom and not letting you up. One of the other ways, phrases the word means is to dip repeatedly. If you've ever seen a baptism here, we don't do that. We don't hold you down and not let you up. Good news. And we don't just keep doing it over and over and over again. That's different. That's not what it is. As a matter of fact, there's a passage in Romans chapter 6 that uses this image of baptism of what it represents, that we're buried with Christ in baptism and we're raised to walk a new life. It's a picture of what Jesus has done for us then and what he does for individuals internally. It's an outward expression of an inward reality. One of the ways that helped me understand what it looked like is it's kind of like a press conference. Some people believe actually it's tied to forgiveness of sins because it says be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. But actually, I think the word actually translated for means because. Because you are forgiven sins, do this. 
It's an outward expression of what Jesus has done for you with this idea of water baptism. So a press conference, what happens if, if an athlete signs a contract with a team and now he was on this team, but now he's on this team, then sometimes they have this press conference where they say, hey, this is our new player. We're really proud he's now one of our team. And I'm not gonna say any sports or any team names because I don't wanna divide us. And I may have already divided us because some people say, I don't like sports. It's all I got in this analogy right now. So just work with me. They have this deal. I won't say any names or any teams uh, or any sports. And they have this deal and they have the thing and they, the guy says, I'm now part of this team. He puts on the jersey and says, here I am. Well, there, I, I did this. I'm sorry I did the guns up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Whatever it is for you, you know, I, I'm sorry. Whatever it is, like, you get the idea. Like, there's this moment where the guy stands up and he says, now I'm officially part of the team. And he pulls on the jersey. And now people who used to root against that player now root for that player. And as Jerry Seinfeld says, all it is is laundry. Like, all he did was change his shirt. And now he's one of us. So here's the deal. Baptism is what is similar. The, the, the athlete never, that's not when he became part of the team. Legally, he became part of the team when he signed the contract. He made the commitment and he said, I commit to this, you commit to this, we agree. And now let's go make it public by having a press conference. That's what baptism is. You have a deal with Jesus where you say, you gave your life for me so you can give your life to me. So I give my life to you. There's this exchange. Now I have a relationship with you. I'm a child of God. And you've forgiven me. I am loved, accepted, redeemed, transformed. Like that's all true of me because of what you have done. So now I want to make it public and put on the jersey, be baptized and say, I'm part of his team now. That's what baptism is. As a matter of fact, the early church thought it was important. They heard Jesus say it, baptized them. And at the early expression, that Acts chapter two passage where they were getting together, right before that, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized. Like, like it's just like, well, of course we're going to do that. Of course, I'm going to want to be baptized because Jesus said it was important. And the church thought we should be baptizing people because Jesus told us to do that. So they did it. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then they formed this community called the church. It's an important next step as defined by Jesus. So it's an important next step for us. And you actually have an opportunity if you've never taken that step before. And, and uh, on December 9th, and this is several people who recently took that step. You can read their story a little bit right there. This is a next step that might be your next step. So I encourage you to pray about it. God, is this something you want me to do? Now, a lot of times when I'm asking that question, I look to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say? It sure seems like it was important to Jesus that we would do this. Because there's something that happens when we make it public, when we take a first step of obedience that seems to matter to him, to us. But here's the thing I've learned. It matters to others. When we take that step, Sometimes it says something to the people around us that God uses to help them take their next step. So what I would challenge you to do is to pray about if this is you. And if it is, you can visit the sign-up links on our app or website. You can fill out a connection card. If you have questions, we like when people have questions. That's a good thing for your faith. What do you believe and why do you believe it and what should you do about it? Those are important things to consider. Think, what do you believe about baptism? Is it your next step? Why does it matter and why do you believe that? And then if it is, take that step. Or go and make disciples, help somebody else take that next step. But baptism seems to be something that was important to Jesus. It was, the next, it was a first and next opportunity of obedience and of identification. Which, speaking of obedience, that's another thing he mentioned in this great commission. It seemed to really matter to him. Watch what it says in Matthew 28. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. When you hear the word obey or obedience, 
you probably have some kind of reaction. As a matter of fact, if I were to say, what comes to mind when, I think of, when you think of the word obedience? It might be training your dog. It might be someone who's domineering, who says, demands obedience. So that really wreaks havoc with us when he says, I want you to teach people to obey everything I've commanded. We have a lot of hangups with that. Well, here's the thing. Jesus is the one commanding. It's what he taught and what he said, not what we say. But this apparently was a very important thing to him. As a matter of fact, he wouldn't even would go on to his disciples at a different time and say, if you love me, you'll obey what I commanded. Apparently, obedience really mattered to him. The problem when it comes to many of us of being a disciple, we focused it on knowledge, what we know, rather than what we do. And the thing that Jesus says repeatedly about obedience is that obedience is greater than knowledge. You might substitute the word application. Applying what you know is greater than just what you know. Because if it's just something you know and you don't live it out, it doesn't make a tremendous difference. It makes some difference. Everything you put in your head eventually shows up in your life. Like what you believe really does matter. But if it just stays there, it becomes stagnant. To Jesus, obedience was greater than knowledge. So a disciple is really an apprentice of Jesus who learns and obeys and becomes more like Jesus. This is why for us as a church, scripture engagement is so important. Why we equip you and even resource you. That's why we have a reading plan for every series we do. You can see the, find these on the, on the website, on the Live Oak app, or at Guest Central. It's why we have scripture engagement journals. It's why on a regular basis, we try to teach and equip how to study the Bible for yourself. Because it's hard to obey everything Jesus commanded if you don't know what he's commanded. And if you don't trust the heart of the one who commanded it, that he has your best interest in mind, and he knows what's best, you're going to be reluctant to say yes. The bottom line of what Jesus says, as part of this idea of being a disciple and making disciple, is obedience matters. Obedience is greater than knowledge. But also what you see is connection is greater than content. It's not just the knowledge, it's your connection to Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus, not just a follower of the rules. Following Jesus is more important than following the rules, but obedience is part of that. And then there's this amazing promise he makes at the end of this. And you have to pay attention to the promise and the context of which it's given. It's this, and surely I am with you always. Now, your first reaction to that might be, if you've seen the movie Airplane, well, I believe you're with me always, but please stop calling me Shirley. Like, I'm sorry if that's, every time I hear the word Shirley, I get derailed by that because I grew up with the movie Airplane. Focus on this, I am with you always, this is the most frequent promise in Scripture. Moses quotes it. David, I am with you through the valley of the shadow. It's, it's there from beginning to end, this promise that what God wants to, to, to be is present with you. And he tells his disciples, as you're doing this, I will be with you always. Now, it might be helpful to take the word always out and say, I will be with you Monday. And I will be with you Tuesday. Like, if you start thinking of always as every day and specific parts of the day, what you realize is Jesus is saying, I am with you every minute. The only question is, will you choose to be with him? So as Jesus makes this promise, there's this amazing opportunity. There's two amazing opportunities in this promise. One, every minute, you have the opportunity to not just be a disciple of Jesus, but be discipled by Jesus. If I am with you always, what he's saying to the disciples is, I'm leaving, but I'm still discipling you. You're still a learner of Jesus who's becoming more like Jesus because I am gone, but I'm with you through my Holy Spirit. You have a chance to be a disciple 
uh, disciple by Jesus, but also be a disciple or disciple with Jesus. As he makes this promise, as they're going and making disciples, they're not on their own in this. And we're not supposed to make disciples of us, but make disciples of Jesus. And so as we do this, Jesus is the one there present with us who's helping us with this. This promise, I am with you always, means we have this amazing opportunity to be discipled by Jesus and to disciple with Jesus. Part of his mission of making disciples. And what we know is it is a process. But Jesus is right in the middle of that. Well, how did Jesus make disciples then? He would tell his disciples this. Basically, he asked them to be with him. So that's why this meant so much for them because the very first invitation they had as a disciple was to be with Jesus. Look at this in Mark. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. That was his strategy for making disciples. Life on life, presence. So you can imagine as he's leaving, it says, I'm leaving and I'm commissioning you to go make disciples. And he promises to him, and I will be with you. He's still discipling them. But also what he says is, I want you to be someone who makes disciples and I'm with you in that process. And then he sends them out. And this is what I think Jesus still does. He promises to be with you the same way he promises to be with them. And he says, I will be with you and I will send you out to do this. I want you to be a disciple and make some disciples. Be one and make some. This is the commission. This is vintage. If this ever stops being true of this church, we should stop being a church. If this ever is not true for me as a follower of Jesus, something has gone very, very wrong. This is what he told them then. This is what he tells his followers now, to be one and make some. Well, there are these key passages that from day one as a church for 25 years we've counted on. And there are these passages that from day one of the church with a capital C, the church, the Christ followers, this gathering of believers have counted on. One was that Jesus said he will build his church. One was this great commandment to love God and love people. Then the great commission to go and make disciples and then Acts chapter two, this idea of being together. This, these are core passages that have been true that we've counted on and tried to say there's these passages with practices, with promises, uh, with purpose that should always be part of what we're about. To love God, to love people, to go make disciples together. That's what they did. That's what we should do. It's vintage. It happened then. It should always be in. And one of the ways we think about that and kind of our framework, our strategic plan for doing this is this thing we call the great connections. And the idea that if you're connected in these four areas, it will help you be a disciple and make disciples. We want to connect ourselves and others to God, God's word, God's people, and God's mission. Here's the thing I've been thinking about in recent days. I think all four of these matter. And what I've been thinking about a lot, I haven't fully kind of thought it out fully But here's what I've thought about so far in terms of being a disciple and in terms of making disciples. If all four connections aren't present, something is missing. Some part of the process of being a disciple, some part of the process of making disciples, some part of being a more or stronger follower of Jesus Christ, something about my faith lacks or yours lacks if I'm not connecting myself and others to all four. Let me give you an example. When I started thinking about, this is the way I first started thinking about it. If I'm just connected to God's word, if I know scripture really, really well, but I'm not connected to God, I can become arrogant. 
and my faith can become academic. There's no test, unless you're in Bible college. Like, if it is, study for your test. But, but it, if you're just connected to God's word and you know it really well, but there's no connection to God himself made possible through Jesus, your faith is academic. And you find yourself looking down on others. Your heart grows hard toward others. You find yourself kind of being selfish in terms of faith, and you kind of rank yourselves higher than others. Be very careful if you're just connected to God's word, but not to God. And if you flip that, if you say, I have a deep connection with God, I'm a very spiritual person, God and I are very close, but you're not connected to God's word, God can become very abstract. The Bible is revelation to who he is, and Jesus, the word made flesh, this the Logos, the Word made flesh, Jesus, which is recorded in here, we can read about him. That's how we know who God is. That's we know what he's like. And that's one of the ways we connect with him was through his Word. If you're disconnected to God but not God's Word, it can become vague. It can become very selfish and self-centered. God is who as I see him to be, not who as eyewitnesses saw him to be, or who he tells me he is. And let's say you're not connected to God's people. Like you have friends, you've got your people, but you're not connected to God's people. There's not people who are following Jesus with you. One is if you're connected to God's word, but not God's people, how do you apply when it says love one another? Who's the other? It's hard to love one another when you're the only other, right? So much of scripture is applying it to somebody else. That's your somebody else. But then the Bible also says that you're part of what, what the Bible calls us as the body of Christ. We're the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. If you're not connected to God's people, the body's missing some valuable limbs. You're an important part of the body. So being connected to God's people means you're helping the body of Christ be complete and diverse and expressed fully. And let's say you're not connected to God's mission. Here's the danger of this. If you're only receiving stuff from God and God's word and God's people, if you're just on the receiving end, much like water, if it just pours into uh, kind of something like this, like right now you can see kind of standing bodies of water. By the way, I just got to ask this question. Do you know how many actual lakes are in Texas, natural lakes? Anyone know this? There's one, Cattle Lake. Isn't that interesting? Everything else is this man-made thing where they, pardon my language, they dammed up some water. <laughs> I don't know why I felt like I had to say that. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird when you're, everyone's listening to what you say and you think, I hope I didn't say something bad. That's not bad. It's an actual thing. D-A-M. I'm calling way too much attention to that. So if, if you dam up a, a river, it becomes a lake. That's all of Texas lakes except for one, Cattle Lake. So right now, because of rain, we've got these other parts of water that they don't have an inflow and an outflow. If you just have stuff that's going in and water sits there for a while, how do you feel about that water? It's stagnant. You don't look at that and go, I want to go for a swim. No, it becomes slimy and swampy and stagnant. That's what happens to your faith. If it's just stuff pouring into you, if you're just a receptacle and not a conduit, your faith and everything God's doing in you can become stagnant. You've got to be connected to God's mission where something is flowing from you. So think about your own life right now in terms of being a disciple who's a learner of Jesus, who's becoming more like Jesus, being transformed, which he promises to do. How are your connection these days? How connected are you to God? The God who's promised, I will be with you always. I will be with you Monday. How is your connection to him? And are you living 
as if this moment right now is a chance to be with Jesus. How's your connection to God's word these days? Are, Are you showing up and say, I can be discipled by Jesus as I read about Jesus right now? How amazing an opportunity is that? Are you engaging with scripture or are you flying blind? Have you shut yourself off to the inflow of wisdom from God's word? It's an important connection for you and that you connect others to. What about God's people? How connected are you to community? We're people who can talk about God's word together and participate in God's mission together, who can follow Jesus together. How important, how connected are you these days? It's incredibly important. That's why we have small groups here, not because it is community, because it's possible to be in community and not in a small group. It's also possible to be part of a small group and not in community. There's something about being connected to God's people where there's authentic relationships that is built, not found. It's built over time that God uses as part of his process over time to help you be transformed as a disciple. And then being part of God's mission, the giving, the serving, the focus on the other. It's such an important part of what God does, not just through you, but how he transforms you. And he turns your faith to be outward looking and outward expressed and even making disciples of being part of God's mission. How connected are you these days? And what I would say, I really believe this is true, if one of the connections is missing, or two, or three, or all the connections, something will be lost. That being connected is part of what it means to be a disciple. This original purpose that Jesus gave the church, this vintage statement that will never go out, will always be in, to go and make disciples is important for you. And I hope you're a part of it because it's important for our church. If Live Oak is your church home, it's, that's why I would say that. But if it's not and you're a follower of Jesus, wherever you land, it's important there. Because if making disciples is not part of this church, we shouldn't be a church. We've become old. It's not vintage. It's just old. And it might do some good, but it does not do the good that God designed it to do. For, for Live Oak, we call it making more and stronger followers of Jesus Christ. That's, that's our mission from day one. How we do that changes, but the mission itself, being part of that mission of going and making disciples, shouldn't change. And Jesus promised that he would build his church by building people because that's what a church is. It's not a building, it's not a meeting, it's people. People who are connected to Jesus. And here's why it's so important for me to urge you to be part of this. Not just because it's an important part of the mission. It's important because it's an important part of your faith. Because I really do believe that one of the reasons it's important to be connected to God's mission is that's where you grow best. Because I believe this, a disciple grows when a disciple disciples. If you want to be growing as an apprentice, a learner of Jesus, who becomes more like Jesus, then participate in making disciples. Be a disciple of Jesus and disciple with Jesus as he promises to be with you. And I promise your best days of growth might happen in a situation just like this where a disciple chooses to be a disciple and make disciples. That's where you might grow best. And if your faith feels stagnant these days, make that commitment. I will be a disciple who disciples because I think that's when you as a disciple of Jesus will grow to be more like Jesus. But it doesn't happen if you just say, hey, I'm in. I want to do that. It's got to show up just like Jesus promised to be with you on a Monday. It's got to show up in your world on a Monday. So this week, How will you be a disciple who makes disciples? How will you be a disciple of Jesus and how will you make disciples of Jesus? It should show up on your calendar. When will you do that? Where will you do that? How will you do that? Who will you do that with? If it doesn't show up on your calendar, you may have great knowledge 
but beware of growing stagnant in your faith and missing the opportunity of eternity. I would say the opportunity of a lifetime, but it's so much bigger than that because the fact that the God of the universe would say to you, I want you to be part of what I'm doing in the lives of others. Be my disciple and go make disciples is the challenge he gives to me, to you, to all of us. And the minute it stops being part of our church, we shouldn't be a church. If it stops being part of your faith, your faith will not grow like it could. Go and make disciples. Love God, love people, go make disciples together. Let's stand for closing prayer. I challenge you to think through your calendar. Think through different things that are on your calendar this week. Here's the promise of Jesus. I will be with you during that. During that meeting, at home during that time, as you're driving the car, I'm, I'm present in all of it. And on your calendar this week, are you putting being a disciple and making disciples as part of your week? I would challenge you to do that specifically. God, thanks that you love us. Thanks that you include us, not just in your family, but in your mission. And God, I pray that you would help us be a church that always takes this seriously, to ask how can we be a disciple who makes disciples. God, thanks that you've promised to be with us, that you're with us on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday, every day, every moment. We can count on this promise being true. That gives us this opportunity not just to make our faith an academic experience, but something where we can have interactions with the God of the universe through your Holy Spirit. God, as we engage scripture this week, thanks that we're not just reading about you, we're reading with you. Use that to help make us a disciple and help us to go make disciples. Thanks for the people that took that challenge seriously, that invested in us to help us get where we are today in our faith. Help us do that for others. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down here at the front. Thanks for being here. What? Well,
So good. 